This recording has been produced by Christchurch, Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. So, welcome everyone to our Christchurch Evening Bible Study, Wednesday night in Jerusalem. And for all everybody who's listening in from around the world, it is a joy to see you. And it reminds us all that the kingdom of heaven is a lot bigger than we think. And that is uh, such good news, just in and of itself. And we will begin uh, tonight's study as we continue to wrestle with the last words of Moses, Moses' commentary on the first four books, looking at what he includes and what he doesn't include, and how he's encouraging uh, the people of Israel as they begin their conquest of, of, of Canaan. We'll begin with prayer. And once again, I will call on my brother, the Ordinand uh, himself, Neville. Okay, thanks, Aaron. Yeah, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather around your word. And Lord, we are nothing without your Holy Spirit. So Lord, we pray you'd honor us by your presence and bless us in our need to learn more of you and of your ways and of your love for mankind. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, a good prayer. Yes. Reading the Bible is reading about God's love. So I'll begin by reading um, the, the summary that we had from last week. Last week we finished off uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8, from verses 9 to 20. And our discussion kind of went as follows. Memory and forgetfulness are central to the success or failure of the people of God. So that would actually include us. Responsibility falls on Israel to live in the present, that is, counting themselves as being the generation who departed Egypt and received the Torah at Sinai. Theologically, the past is the present, and this will prevent future success turning into arrogance and rejection from the land of inheritance. That is, the good land which was before them, which is bountiful in agriculture, listed as the seven species. When the people have eaten and are satisfied, they are instructed to bless the Lord, thus forming the tradition of grace after meals. During the Second Temple period, blessings were added before and after meal occasions, particularly the brachot for bread and wine, and these existed a generation prior to Jesus. Memory and forgetfulness are ultimately linked to obedience and the act of doing. Forgetting the Lord will result in failure to obey his commands, and vice versa. He who does not walk in obedience will in the end forget his God and seek another. Do this to remember me, says the Messiah, and also, blessed is he who hears my words and obeys them, from Luke's Gospel. National memory will affect national character. Thus, Moses charges Israel to remember the Exodus and the absolute dependence on God for food, water, clothing, and protection during the 40 years in the desert. Failure to recall the wanderings in the wilderness will result in pride and arrogance of the heart. Victory over the Canaanite tribes will give a feeling of self-justification and empowerment. My power and my strength has made me rich, warns Moses. Success is both a proof 
that God keeps his promises and the covenant with the patriarch. And it is also a snare of temptation to become arrogant, falling into idolatry. Isn't that interesting? Success is both a good thing and a bad thing. We noted also that God's leading is not always to places of peace, safety, and security. God took his people through the harsh land, vast, waterless, and infested with snakes and scorpions. Danger was all around, but God's protection was also constant. Moses recalls the water from the rock as a sign of God's constant presence and provision. This extended period of testing produced humbleness in the people. A humbleness of heart, says Moses. In the fullness of time, the test leads to a good end. The good land in all its abundance. What is actually dangerous is ironically not the sprawling desert and all the wild animals, but the danger is peace and safety. It is in the comforts of blessing and plenty that the danger arises to forget the law. Forgetfulness, that is, disobedience, will lead to idolatry. The forsaking of God for another God. Note, atheism is not on the table. No one becomes a non-believer. Everyone, everyone ultimately believes in something even if that something is a lie. Moses warned that the consequence for trading God in for false gods will end in destruction, annihilation, and expulsion from the land. Should the people um, forget God, stop, uh, stop being exactly, should the people um, forget God, then God will treat them in the same fashion as the nations of Canaan. The opposite of this warning is, of course, that obedience gives life. That is, life in abundance, leading to the blessing of wealth, health, family, food, land, and the presence of God. There will be an inheritance, undeserved, but promised, and there will be a king. That's a summary from our studies from last week. Okay, so everybody, if you don't mind... Um, Keeping your uh, mute on until you're ready to talk. Is that okay? Very good. All right. So we're going to read um, Deuteronomy 9. Now, normally we would be able to do this one verse at a time, going around the room. It'd be a lot of fun. We'd all have involvement, reading from different versions and different languages, but we're not all in the same room right now. So uh, I'll read. The, uh, the chapter, chapter 9, and then see how we go. Deuteronomy chapter 9. Here are Israel. You are now about to cross the Jordan and go in and dispossess nations greater and stronger than you with large cities that have walls up to the sky. The people are strong and tall, Anakites. You know about them and have heard it said, who can stand up against the Anakites? But be assured today that the Lord your God is the one who goes across ahead of you like a devouring fire. He will destroy them. He will subdue them before you. And you will drive them out and annihilate them quickly, as the Lord has promised you. 
After the Lord your God has driven them out before you, do not say to yourself, the Lord has brought me here to take possession of the land because of my righteousness. No, it is not on account of the wickedness. No, it is on account of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is is to drive them out before you. It is not because of your righteousness or your integrity that you are going in to take possession of the land, but on account of the wickedness of those of these nations. The Lord your God will drive them out before you to accomplish what he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob. Understand then that it is not because of your righteousness that the Lord your God is giving you this good land to possess, for you are a stiff-necked people. Remember this and never forget how you aroused the anger of the Lord your God in the wilderness. From the day you left Egypt until you arrived here, you have been rebellious against the Lord. At Horeb, you aroused the Lord's wrath so that he was angry enough to, des- to destroy you. But I went up the, on the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant that the Lord had made with me. I stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. I ate no bread and I drank no water. The Lord gave me two stone tablets inscribed by the finger of God. On them were all the commandments the Lord proclaimed to you on the mountain out of the fire on the day of the assembly. At the end of the 40 days and the 40 nights, the Lord gave me the two stone tablets, the tablets of the covenant. Then the Lord told me, go down from here at once, because your people, whom you brought out of Egypt, have become corrupt. They have turned away quickly from what I commanded them and have made an idol for themselves. And the Lord said to me, I have seen this people. They are a stiff-necked people indeed. Let me alone so that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven. And I'll make you into a nation stronger and more numerous than they. So I turned and went down from the mountain while it was ablaze with fire. And the two tablets of the covenant were in my hands. When I looked, I saw that you had sinned against the Lord your God. You had made for yourselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. You had turned aside quickly from the way that the Lord had commanded you. So I took the two two tablets and threw them out of my hands, breaking them to pieces before you. Then, once again, I fell prostrate before the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights. I ate no bread and I drank no water because of all the sin you had committed, doing what was evil in the Lord's sight and so arousing his anger. I feared the anger and wrath of the Lord, for he was angry enough with you to destroy you. But again, the Lord listened to me. And the Lord was was angry enough with Aaron to destroy him. But at that time, I prayed for Aaron too. Also, I took that sinful thing of yours, the calf that you had made, and I burned it in fire. And I crushed it, and I ground it to powder, as fine as dust. And I threw the dust into a stream that flowed down the mountain. You also made the Lord angry at Teborah and Massah and the Kibroth um, hat, hat ava. And when the Lord sent you out from Kadesh Barnea, he said, Go up and take possession of the land I have given you. But you rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You not trust him or obey him. You have been, rebe- been rebellious against the Lord ever since I have known you. I lay prostrate before the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights because the Lord had said he would destroy you. 
I prayed to the Lord and said, Sovereign Lord, do not destroy your people, your own inheritance that you redeemed by your great power and brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Overlook the stubbornness of these people, their wickedness and their sin. Otherwise, the country from which you have brought us will say, because the Lord was not able to take them into the land he had promised them, and because he hated them, he brought them out to put them to death in the wilderness. But they are your people, your inheritance, that you brought out by your great power and your outstretched arm. All right. It's a pretty, pretty tough uh, chapter. Okay, guys. So on an initial surface reading, is there anything there that jumps out at you that you noticed? Three times he says uh, 40 days, 40 nights. I was just thinking that is one, one very serious prayer for mercy. Yeah, it is. Yes. And um, it's interesting that the text, it clearly says, you know, for 40 days I didn't eat bread and for 40 days I didn't drink. Um, no, medically nigh impossible. Okay, but we'll talk about that when we get to it. Because the uh, Jewish people and the New Testament have a very interesting way of how to deal with that. Is there anything else there that people uh, can see? The thing that always strikes me about this passage when I read it is that it's not very other, often in other places where the Lord says the same thing three times running right. in a short space. So, at, you know, that the beginning couple of paragraphs there. You know, it's not because of your righteousness, it's, it's because of the wickedness of the people that you're coming into this land. And he just repeats it. Uh, this has to be something that the Lord really, really wants to emphasize. Yes. Yeah. Something interesting about, about the idea of the righteousness is that it's interesting how we always operate on comparative righteousness. Like there's always somebody worse than us. And it's interesting because he's saying... You know, I've, I've seen your track record. You guys haven't been doing very good ever since the get-go. And, <laughs> and it really is all about, um, it's all about his promises and his goodness and about him keeping the oaths. He talks about that in verse 7 and verse 27. So, you know, when he says, don't think it's because of your righteousness, but it's actually because of my goodness and grace and, and um keeping of the oaths. And that always reminds me of the whole idea that, you know, I hear people saying, Oh, the old Testament, you know, it's about people. It's, it's a uh, law based and it's a works based, but it's always been by grace. And, and they say, Oh no, the new Testament is Christians. It's, you know, if we believe by faith and uh, you know, it's faith based, but it's not, it's always been by grace. It's always believing. It's never been by our own righteousness. It's always by, by the Lord's oath and his grace and his goodness. Yep. Now, and I love in verse 29 where it, it clearly says that God did this because they were his inheritance and it was for his own, you know, they're his people. So he did this because they he chose them. Yes, yes. It's, it is a beautiful verse. As even though God has called them a stiff-necked people right. and wanted to wipe them out, there is this nice bit at the end that says, actually, they're your inheritance, Lord. So. But when he was angry with them, he said, uh, Moses, they are your people. Yes, that's true. Yeah, he did, he did switch the, the, uh, the, 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 the possessive, the, the personal pronoun. These are your people. 
You better go down. Your people are rebelling. My people would never do such a thing. Your people are rebelling. Yeah, it's like two parents, and when the child does something wrong, it's like, your child. That's exactly right. Yes. Yes. Your kid, your people. We have a big precedence to say that. Okay. So there you go. And one other thing that's kind of um, strikes me out there is the first word in this um, narrative, the first word Shema. Shema. Um, too. Yeah, it's a, it's a very strong word. Um, it's like um, a military term to tell somebody to listen up. And, and for, especially for a Hebrew person, you understand that whatever God is going to say after that Shema, it's very, very serious. It's, um, yes, it's it a is. firm word. Yeah. And then the no. first three sentences, we need to go back to 40 years before when God told them to Shema, listen, send in the 12 spies, and they come back with a report. And 10 of them had a bad report because of why? What, they were, what were they afraid of? The giants. The giants. And so what's the first thing they're going to do when they're going to cross the river? Get rid of the giants. <laughs> they're going to have to confront the giants. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, it is interesting that God doesn't hide the, um, the – he doesn't water down the tough process ahead. Like, you know, sometimes when we talk to kids or we talk to each other, we say things like, it'll be okay. It's not going to be that bad. You'll be fine. God does the complete opposite. I says, no, they're giants. They're bigger than you. They've got bigger cities than you. Oh, my gosh. Thanks for the pep talk, man. What have I got on my side? But for me, it reminds me of what I see God constantly doing. He's, he has a beginning. And he has an end, and it's always the same. Where does he get Abraham from? Ur of the Chaldeans. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they do a pretty good job. We screw it all up. Where does he send us back to be to begin again? Babylon, Ur of the Chaldeans. That's right. We come back, right back to Jerusalem, and we're screwing it up again. <laughs> this, issue of, this issue of Shema uh, actually goes back to their starting out from the mountain. If we recall yes. the, what the people actually responded, they said, uh, we will do and we will listen. And we, we joke about this as Israelis to this day. We're very good. We, we first do this we stop and see if there, perhaps we need to listen. For me, uh, the... uh, Bernardo, go for it. You got something to say? Okay. Yeah, verse, uh, what is it? The 10, the finger of God is, for me, is one of the most, um, like a a very strong, let me see if I can get this word right, anthropomorphism, is that correct? I have no idea, it sounds really good. Anthropomorphic, yeah. Uh, Imagining God as a a person, as a human being, with hands and with a finger. Yeah, and the re- the rest of the passage is describing him as fire. Yes. So so I don't know. I always imagine this like a big flame, you know, riding on the stones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't. I, I've never, to be honest, I've never even uh, looked up the Hebrew word. I don't know if it's finger or hand. It's uh, it's. Uh, it's uh, Elohim. Fire age. 
It's Etzba Elohim. Etzba Elohim. Yeah. It, it literally means finger of God. Yeah. yeah. I, I like that with that, that same thought. I like particularly that it's, <laughs> it's just God's finger and he's writing in like kind of rock as hard as granite and it's easy. It's yeah. just. Yeah. And then h- how much more can he write his law on our hearts? Yes. And, and didn't Yeshua write in the sand as well? He did. And we have no idea what he, writ- he wrote. Well, and aren't you I, always uh, very angry that the Gospels do that kind of stuff all the time? Actually, Aaron, I have... And, and Jesus unpacked the Torah, starting at Moses and going through to the Psalms. Blank. Hey, Aaron, since you, since you raised it, I've got a guess at what Jesus was writing. It was a reference to Jeremiah chapter 17. Okay. Um, and I think he was writing names in the sand. So this is, oh, this, this diversion will only take about 30 seconds. So I'm just going to read these verses. So this is the, um, the, the occasion when the woman caught in adultery is brought as, yes. to give Jesus a trick question. Okay, and Jeremiah 17 verse um, 13 says, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be put to shame. Those who turn away from you shall be written in the dust, for they have forgotten the Lord, the fountain of living water. And he, he was surrounded by Pharisees. These are guys who, were, who knew the scriptures and they were out to trip him up. And so he just was writing names in the, in the dirt. And it's a really powerful way of facing, making people face the scriptures that they know and hinting at this really quite powerful passage. Anyway, mm-hmm. that's, that's a construct. You don't have to take it. You know, I'm not going to argue about it with anybody because you can't prove it. It has the uh, subtlety and power that we've come to expect from Jesus in his interactions. Yes. Okay, uh, my turn. You know what I like about this chapter? Apart from everything. Um, there's a prayer. It is very rare that we get a prayer and we get to look at how our heroes pray. Very rare. You sometimes get a prayer of Daniel. You might get a little prayer of uh, Jesus has a little prayer. But here you actually have a prayer of, of Moses. Okay? It takes nearly five, five books until you finally get a, this is what I prayed. You know, wow, interesting. Prayers are uh, very, very important. They come from the heart. They tell you how you think and how you feel. And, uh, and your real theology is actually in what you pray for. And uh, I always find it very interesting when, when a hero of the Bible sits down and says, this is what I prayed, and they, and they, and they tell you. So very, very powerful. But when, we'll get to it when it's, when it's time to have a little look at, uh, at a prayer by, by Moses himself. Uh, yeah, this, the, the one thing that worth pointing out is that it's helpful that it's both Daniel chapter 9 and Deuteronomy chapter 9 where we have the two best examples of intercessory prayer. Oh, yeah, we'll get on to that. Hey, right, yeah, exactly. Because that is, that's the other one, is Daniel's intercessory prayer where he, he, both, he, begs, he begs for the mercy of the people. Okay. All right, Um, so looking at verse 1 of uh, chapter 9. Okay, now let's let's put it into context. Moses is um, trying to warn the people that 
as they go into the land, they're going to be successful, and in their success, there will be a danger. And so he begins to say, you know, what's going to protect you? What's going to protect you is selective memory. Okay? You've got lots to remember. I could quote the entire four books of the Bible at you, but I won't. What I'll do is I'll handpick um, three things that you need to, need to remember as a people. And so he, he asked them to remember that they were slaves. He asked them to remember that uh, it's not their righteousness that has won. And he asked them to remember their sin. So uh, in chapters, the last part of eight and all oh. nine, these are the three things that Moses, out of all of sacred history, he says, be very particular. Make sure you remember. You remember that you were slaves. You remember that it's not your righteousness. You don't deserve this. And you remember that you guys blow it all the time. And, uh, and that's interesting that this is national memory of a people. So if I went around the room or the Zoom room and said, what does your nation remember that, uh, that wants to try and remember its character, I'm going to assume we would remember heroes, that we would remember famous stories, we would remember good deeds that things have done. We probably wouldn't remember our, our faults. But the national memory of Israel is the complete opposite. Remember your sin. Remember you were a slave. Remember that it's not your righteousness that gets you, gets you to this place. It's very interesting that the national memory builds national character. So what is it we're remembering? Because we all have selective memory, I would admit. Yes? We all can remember highlights in our life. We can remember our first kiss. We can remember the day we met our wife. You know, we can remember our first date. Remember all these things. We tend to try and forget, hey, this is where we blew it. Okay? Um, but those are good too. And God is actually being quite clear. Remember this because actually it's very, very helpful for you to do so. Okay. So first word, shma. Woo powerful word. Uh, an imperative, a sit up, pay attention, because everything else that follows is horribly important. Um, the word here, also the word obey in Hebrew. So hear Israel, obey Israel. You are about to cross the Jordan okay, and go in and dispossess nations that are greater and stronger than you with large cities that have walls up to the sky. All right. So, for those who've been uh, to Israel, I think there's nearly everybody here, yes? yes? Did everybody get to a big city in the desert called Arad? Mm -hmm. All right. What's, what's very special about this, this city? Does anyone know? Rick Winnicky lives there. <laughs> well, yes. Okay. That's modern Arad. Okay. Let's let's go a little bit more. Into, let's go into the desert where there's these big giant ruins. Okay. <laughs> of a of a early Bronze Age um, dwelling. Okay. And uh, city. And so, what do we notice in archaeologically about that city? Does anyone remember? Which city is that? The city of right. El Arad. Is, is that the temple? Is that the, the little, little worshipping temple thing? 
Yeah, they do have a temple there. Yes. Which um, is, is one of those interesting things that we, we, we note that uh, Jewish people build more temples than just in Jerusalem. Mm. Okay, that's something we, we have to acknowledge that even though God said, you know, this is my holy mountain, this is where you build my temple, people went, well, that's kind of cool, but I don't live anywhere near Jerusalem, so dang it, I'm going to build a temple here anyway. Is, is this where Moses had to, where they had to turn back because they lost to the king of Iraq? It could be. Yeah, I think so. Might be a bit further south, but yes, it could be. Uh, yes. Um, does anyone, is any, any, people who have been to Arad, I mean, it's, it's not very well visited, which is a bit of a shame. Uh, several reasons. One, because the site is huge, takes forever to get around. Two, uh, it's in the middle of nowhere. Uh, three, it's, there's no shade. So when summertime like this, you just don't want to be outside. Right, there's no visitor center with air conditioning, nice little movie or anything. Um, however, the archaeological ruins are fantastic. Mm -hmm. And one of the things they reveal is in the early Bronze Age, they had massive walls. You actually can stand on them and there's these, the, 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 these massive walls. And uh, it's what strikes archaeologists and people who, who do digs and then have to come up with um, explanations for what they see is they can't understand why this early Bronze Age, early Bronze Age is, is 3,500 years before Jesus, right? So it's very old. Why does this, this people feel compelled to build such massive walls. It would be expensive, time-consuming, okay? um, expensive to maintain. What weapon were they trying to defend against? There's no gunpowder, right? there's no battering rams, you don't have siege engines, that's all gonna come 4,000 years later. Okay? But um, what weapon were they trying to protect? Anakin. That's right. Yep. Here you have this, this uh, I mean, archaeologists are never going to say that. They're going to come up with interesting things like it was prestige. You know? Um, so usually when a nation at, of this sort of time period wanted prestige, they built a big temple. They built a big palace. They spent their money on the interior of the city. These guys spent massive fortifications. And you see it. Uh, being registered here in, in, a, in um, the words of Moses. You know, you're going to go in, you're going to dispossess these nations. These nations are not weak. Okay? These guys have resources. These have means. These guys have got armies. And they have built very strong cities with walls that are up into the sky. And, uh, and Moses, oddly enough, tell them the truth. And, uh, and so no, no trying to dumb it down from, from God. No trying to tell you it'll be, it'll be fine. He's giving you the hard word. Now in verse 2, the people are tall and strong. They are the Anakim. Okay? And you know about them. And you've heard it said. Who can stand up against the Anakim? All right. Now we understand from, from Roddy because he reminded us that when the spies went in, um, that was what was in the land. That scared the pants off uh, 10 of the spies. Uh, 
and said, there's absolutely no way we can beat these guys. So, are Giants real? I hear you ask. Uh, good question. <laughs> so, what do you think, guys? My Spanish version here, it's a, I guess it's a Catholic Bible. It does say, it does says, um, he's a giant, Anak. Yes. It's, it's got the word giant right there. Yeah. Well, Anak in Hebrew means giant. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. Okay. The Anakim are the giants, the big ones. Yeah. Like if you had uh, a well, tall big man, you could say in Hebrew, oh, who Anak? He's, he's big. He's a, he's a huge man. He's a giant. Okay. So here it's, it says giant and then Anak like a, a personal name, like Goliath or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a racial name. So, no. Okay, cool. New Hebrew word for today. New Hebrew word, Anak. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> yes, they're real. Yes, they're real. Yes, they are. And um, so I decided, you know, I would get out our wonderful search engine of all truth, okay, Google. And, uh, you know, I would, you know, Google, you know, are giants real? Has anyone tried to do that recently? No. You, can, you can end up in all kinds of crazy websites, but you have to be very careful what you have a look at. Um, but what you do find is some very interesting uh, material. Um, the, uh, anyone heard of a guy called, um, what was his name? Uh, Pershing, Robert Pershing? Nope. Okay. So, um, he was, uh, until, was it, when, did, when did he die, Aria? Do you remember? Big tall guy? Yeah. No, I don't know the name. Okay. So you'll find a picture of him. He had a disease uh, where, like in the 60s or 70s, and uh, he just didn't stop growing. And so he grew uh, to nearly three meters tall uh, by the age of 22. And finally, his, his body died out on him. But you should see the size of this guy. It's massive when he stands next to his dad. And then, oddly enough, you have pictures of all these other very large people, and you discover that there is a gene in uh, humanity that still exists. But not only that, um, there are some very interesting objects that lie around our planet that seem to belie um, something for very large people. So ancient temples that have incredibly large steps where you, people are asking, why would anyone need to build a step this big? Because you just physically can't walk on it. Um, things like that. And uh, um, What about in Gilgal? They say that, you know, the Rephaim, that it was Og's, you know, uh, and, you know, in Gilgal, they have that, the concentric circles. Right. They, yes, they do. Yes. So this, again, is, is some of the archaeology where you look at it and it's so big, uh, you think, hang on a second, why is it so big? Potentially because the people who are using these objects are actually quite large themselves. And uh, so, so it's a very interesting search that um, does reveal that the, there is an evidence uh, of, of giant activity on the planet, not just necessarily here in the land of Israel. Well, there's a fair bit of it here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we, we have, they found um, skulls and um, the whole bones and stuff here in Mexico. There's a big part where they found giants. They're, yeah. they're like 
10 feet tall, the smallest one. Yes, wow. quite, quite large. Yeah. Uh, this but is then Jennifer. again, there's a... Sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Finish, Bernie. Okay. There's, I also saw a documentary that proof of that was that, for example, all the cathedrals and, and the big palaces and stuff that, that, that are, were built in the Middle Ages, that's because there were giants. But the thing is that society back then was theocentric, not, not anthropomorphic centric. It was not based on the human. That came later with the Renaissance. So all the scales of, of the big doors and the big steps of the churches, the church buildings and the palaces and all that was because of that, not because there were giants. Correct, yes. So what we're, what we're looking at, Bernard, in the, in, the, in the record of archaeology is something so thousands of years ago. So thousands of years before Jesus, you're finding these large monoliths, large buildings, and trying to figure out why do people do such a thing. Um, and, of course, the Bible is saying, uh, well, you've heard of them. These guys are giants, and uh, they were around, and you're going to have to go in and take them. Now Can I read the, the, something from Genesis? Yes, go right ahead. In Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, it says that it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God, talking about supernatural beings there, saw the daughters of men that they were fair and they took them wives of all which they saw. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not always strive with man or that he also is flesh and his days shall be 120 years. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also afterwards, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bare children, offspring to them, the same became mighty men, which were old men of renown. Yes. Some sort of uh, genetic code was put into humanity, and that actually still remains. Uh, Every now and again, it's very rare in our modern period, because of our sheer dilution of our genetic code now, but every now and again, it pops up, and you end up with these very large, large people. But, yep, they're there, and the Bible but, it. But that is an interpretation, right? Because um, that's mainly from a Greek perspective. A Hebrew perspective does not believe in angels, divine beings coming and having Incorrect. sex with humans and stuff like that. Incorrect. So and and the so this, the, the several hundred years prior to uh, the New Testament, you have what we took call apocrypha or the hidden books, even though they're not hidden because they're in everybody else's Bible. So Jewish book, all of these texts are written by Jews. So the books of Enoch, the books of Jubilees, the books of Jacob, which are all written by Jewish people, clearly call talk about angelic. Uh, invasion of of creation and its intermingling with the world. They talk about basically more rebellions than we have. We have the satanic rebellion from uh, Genesis uh, the, with the snake and the serpent, but the Genesis six is a is a different rebellion. It's a it's a rebellion led by different people, and there were apparently more. Uh, so, so it's actually a Hebrew, well-documented Hebrew thought that uh, there has been angelic interference in this planet for quite some time. Uh, may I say angelic meaning demonic when they're fallen angels? Well, 
We call them demons, but that's only an adjective because they're still the same substance that they were before. Also, Aaron, one of the parts of the genetic code that's come through are six fingers and six toes. Yeah. There are, are tall people with six fingers and six toes around. So. Yeah. Was that right? Yeah. And, and it's mentioned that the, the, the giants that David, you know, the friends of Goliath also had six fingers and six toes. Yes, that's so, right. There was some, yes, a physical... Yeah, you need to be careful about who you call a mutant and you need to be a long way away. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and, and do it in sign language and run. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so, 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 Mo, so God, through Moses, warns the people that, I'm not going to hide it from you, large, large, powerful people in front of you, very big. And then, of course, verse 3, but be assured today that the Lord your God is the one who goes across ahead of you. Well, that sounds <laughs> awesome, like a devouring fire. So we're not going to fight this on our own. Great, right? we're going to go out and, and, and he's going to destroy them. He will destroy them for you. He will subdue them before you. Excellent. And you will drive them out and annihilate them quickly, as the Lord has promised you. So what do we see there? Who's going to do the fighting? The Lord. And who else? The people. Yes, it's, it's going to be a joint operation. So it's not going to be that God is just going to walk into Canaan, start hacking and slashing, kill everybody, and everybody will sort of walk along and, and look at the dead bodies and go, oh, well, that's ugly. Um, cover the kid's eyes, dear. Um, there's, there's actually going to be some cooperation. We're going to have to work this together. So on one hand, yes, the Lord goes in front of you which is always lovely to say. And in fact, we all say this to each other. Don't worry, son. The Lord goes before you. But guess Aaron, what? you still got to do this yourself too. So, sorry, Aaron. I've always wondered, about, uh, in connection, sort of connection with this, is I've always wondered about uh, the battle of Joshua being fought because they were doing the same thing, yet the Lord destroyed more. Correct. Yep. So they still had to physically walk around that, that um, city. They had to physically carry the ark, blow the trumpets. They had to physically do all the things that God had commanded, and uh, God would fight too. So there's a, there is a, it's a joint effort. Uh, now, also, when Israel invades Canaan, there's going to be casualties on their side, which means we have to wrestle with as brothers and sisters and servants of the Lord, you know, God makes it tough. He doesn't just say, go in, you'll have victory, and don't worry, nothing's going to happen to you. In fact, you won't even raise a sweat. Don't even bother changing your underwear, okay? Just go in and take it. It's going to be tough. There's going to be casualties. It might hurt, and that's okay. Now, today... When we talk about this kind of stuff uh, in our churches, we tend to have this idea that everything's going to be easy. In fact, many times in our prayers, because how do I know this? A, I've heard it, and B, sometimes I've even prayed it. We also pray things like, and Lord, we'd like to thank you ahead of time for all the great things you're going to do. And God's going, great, I'm going to thank you for all the great things you're going to do. You know? um, 
that, that we it, we have to we have to wage war too. And of course, the weapons of our warfare are not physical. We don't wage warfare against flesh and blood. Um, but we are we work out this together. Uh, and there is some verse I think in Corinthians which I forgot to look up, uh, where Paul mentions this as well. Um, I will find that for the notes next week. So there you go. There's, there is somewhere in the New Testament it does say something about a chicken. No, it says something about um, having to work it out uh, together. And, and you can see it here too. God is going to go ahead of them. He is going to destroy them. doesn't matter how big they are. They're all going to fall. But just like when David fights Goliath, who kills Goliath? Well, David does. But does he fight him on his own? No. But at some stage, you know, you've actually got to pick up that rock, pray hard, and throw, right? You know, you've got to, you've got to do that too. Uh, and it's interesting here um, that it says, the Lord will drive them out and annihilate them quickly. But what did we have a chapter ago? What did God say? I should do it slowly because uh, we, we, don't, we don't want to go too fast here because the, the wild animals, which are even more dangerous than these big guys, will actually over, overtake you. Um, so it's interesting that uh, you, get the, you get the pep talk that we're going to go in and destroy them quickly, but we all know from Joshua and, and, and Judges that it's a bit slower uh, than that. It's actually just uh, in the chapter 7 that you get the statement where it says, <coughs> chapter 7, verse 22, the Lord your God will clear away these nations before you little by little. Little by little. And make yes. an end of them at once, lest the wild beasts grow too numerous for you. Yeah. So, I mean, that's just that's actually on the same page of my Bible. <laughs> you know. Oh, Yvonne, you've got the Second Corinthians verse. Absolutely fantastic. Could you read that out? I'm pretty sure that's where Paul says we, we do this together. Is that right? Uh, no, I didn't hear you there. You're still on mute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace and God in vain. Yeah, that's what. So it, we talked about. Yeah, you work together with God, and uh, and that theology has been consistent through the entire Bible. And of course, the great blessing that we have is the 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 Jewish people had had God's presence in the tabernacle in the Mishkan. We have God's presence within ourselves and within within the aid in the community uh, of the Holy Spirit. Um, but we still have to get up in the morning and face those giants uh, ourselves. We do it together. We don't do it by ourselves. Never try and do anything by yourself. And God didn't make us to be that way. He never called us to be alone. He called us to be members of a community. Okay. Just to add the um, Aaron. Yep. And, um, yeah. Um, I, I think it's um, David that says in Psalm 115 and verse 16, it says, the, the heavens and the of heavens belong to the Lord, or the earth he has given to humankind or the sons of men. And I understand it in a way that God gives the earth realm for humans to move in a physical way. And in other words, before we can do, achieve things here, we have to use our physical being. In other words, that's why the children of God have to go for the battle. And if the heavens belongs to the Lord, yeah. that means if we want the Lord, we have to permit him to come into the earth, even though he created the earth, but he has given it unto men. And that's why we invite angels or we pray and God sends his angels to assist us 
and also on the other side, um, um, evil people invite demons to assist them, but the earth is the Lord. You know, he has given That's it right. to the children. power men. of intercession. Yep. Yep. And you can yep. see it in Moses' prayer, right? Absolutely. And, and, yeah. and you see it in Moses' intercession. He actually somehow stops heaven from doing something, um, which is very yep. interesting. Yep. All right. So uh, verse, uh, what are we up to? Four. After the Lord your God has driven them out before you, now we get the warning and the constant repetition of um, this is what our sacred memory should be, selective as it is. After the Lord your God has driven them out before you, do not say to yourself, the Lord has brought me here to take possession of this land because of my righteousness. Right? Righteousness. Yes. And so, you know, this sort of idea that... Um, Last, last uh, uh, chapter, it was my power did this. Right? I, I did this. Now it's suddenly my righteousness. So some people can like to argue through their strength or their you know, smart brains. You know, I can do this because I'm so good and I've got six degrees um, from university. Others can say, you know, um, I healed this person because I'm pure and holy. And, you know, the Lord listened to my prayer. And it's all about, you know, how I pray. Um, be very careful in getting to that, that way. Um, and so here's, here's Moses taking warning. It's not because of your righteousness. No, it was an account of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is going to drive them out before you. Verse 5, it is not because of your righteousness or your integrity that you are going to take possession of their land. Notice the adjectives here. Not your land, their land. Because remember, where did the Jewish people come from? We're slaves. We don't come from anywhere. Our ancestor came from Chaldea. We've yeah. been wandering nomads. We've been imprisoned in Egypt for 400 years. Uh, we're most definitely not from the land of Israel. And uh, it's a very interesting historical truth. It's an inheritance. The Jewish people get the land because they inherit it, not because of uh, their power, not because of how good they were, not because of anything else, um, but purely because of an inheritance. And it is on account of their wickedness that the, that of the nations, that the Lord your God will drive them out before you to accomplish what he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob. So why does God give them the land? For the wickedness of the other nations. Yeah. And for the covenant with the forefathers. Yeah. All right. There's a, there's a, there's a, a, a um, somehow there's a connection there. God did promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob a land, right? Um, and yet there's a bunch of people in that land. And uh, you, you, you say Jewish, but should be Israelites, better term, no, Aaron? Well, yeah, it's a, unfortunately, we pick up the word Jewish from the book of yeah. Israel. Yeah, and, yeah. There's, and, and we, you know, it becomes, even Jewish people call themselves Jewish. Very yeah, more generic. Rare, yeah. <laughs> it's very rare to find a Jewish person calling himself an Israelite. Okay. Um, Peter uh, called them Israelites on the day of Pentecost, not Jews. Ah, no. Well done, Arie. Yes. 
Men of Israel. Yes, men of Israel. That's a good term. Men of Israel. Yeah, men of Israel. Yeah. Israelites in Greek. Is Israelis. Israelis. Yeah. There you go. All right. So let's begin with the truth now. Let's use the term. I need by Beit Israel. I am in the house of Israel. That's You're in the house of all be saying. Yes, because the, the the term Jewish is, is is just from the term, from the tribe of Yehuda, which is a, a misnomer because all the tribes are represented. Although, <coughs> although the world is all oh, the world is represented by the house of Israel, if you are a follower of Yeshua. That's correct. That's also true. Yeah. So so Aaron, if if Jacob became Israel, could we also be called Jacobites? I'm joking. Well, I'm sure. I'm sure the Scottish <laughs> would just love that. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Those Jacobites. Yeah. I I, I want to go watch the film Rob Roy now. I'm William Wallace. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, Aaron. Yes. Aaron, just a minute. Uh, why is it that um, the term Israelite is used, um, especially in the Old Testament, to describe the people from Israel, but today we use the word Israeli. Why do we don't we do use that? Israelites. If, yeah. yeah, I don't. I think it's just a modern use of the word. I, I don't think we call anyone an ite, do we anymore? Are there any ites around? Yeah. It's, it's all from the King James translation tradition. Oh, is it the oh, ite? Okay. Yeah, it's a, it's <laughs> not in the old text. These are Amoraim, and they are it's the, yeah. they are im of every kind. Yes, the ites, the ites is from the. English translation. Okay. 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 And it's just it infected our, our language for good <laughs> or for ill. Okay, so Arie, you've got the Hebrew in front of you, I assume. Is that correct? Yes. Yes, okay. So in chat in verse four, where is it that we're not supposed to say to ourselves? Does it does it say because my translation completely missed it? Do not say when the Lord uh smites them before you to say in my righteousness the lord has brought me to inherit the land this land uh, whereas it is the evil of those that he is the lord is uh, driving out before you what, what are we looking for i was looking for love yes my translation has do not say in your heart after the lord has got, has thrust them up before you so right. It, Lev. It's the Yeah, so my, mine dropped it out. But um, as you know, Moses is very particular in this book to make sure that um, the heart becomes the place uh, of pretty much everything. I mean, this is where you think with your emotions, where you think with, you feel with, is where your very being is. And uh, if your heart stops, you die. Um, and uh, don't say in the in a, the, the the place where you do all your thinking. Don't let your pride start there. And then it'll take over your entire 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 body. Um, yeah, it's just I just wanted to draw again that that point that uh, Moses constantly brings it to the heart. Write these laws on your heart, but don't don't trick your heart. Don't make pride dwell in your heart and say it's actually your righteousness. It's actually because of their fault. Okay? I'm killing because of them. I mean, they're, uh, I promise this to your, your, your patriarchs. Yes, but the reason I can do it right now is their sins are so bad uh, that I have to act. And it's interesting 
that we, it reveals that God acts outside of the nation of Israel. Yes? God is concerned of what other nations are doing too. Amen. Because as we have in the Hebrew prayer, He's the king of the universe. So Amen. He, he cares for what's going on in Nigeria. He cares for what's going on in Australia. And they better be good because otherwise they might get some of this divine retribution. And he'd been paying attention to what had been going on in Canaan. And he wasn't pretty. And he had decided that enough was enough. And so he was going to, to act. So verse 6, understand then that it's not because of your righteousness that the Lord your God is giving you this good land to possess, for you are a stiff-necked people. Okay? And uh, this, this sort of idea that success can actually lead to, to self-righteousness um, is an unfortunate problem that still exists, I think, with all of us, if we're honest. I know that you, the mantra that comes out of our mouth is, you know, all glory to God, and may that always be true. We need to make sure that that, that inwardly rests in our heart. Okay, here uh, it's interesting that God himself um, uh, tells the people, A, it's a good land, and B, you're stiff-necked. <laughs> you know, again, how's this for a really great pep talk, you know, as opposed to you guys are only four foot tall, but, you know, you're very powerful, um, you know, you'll, you'll be able to beat giants. It's, it's, uh, he's reminding them, um, be, be a bit more humble uh, because you're, you're constantly a stubborn guru. And so we, we are reminded in sacred history that our righteousness does not uh, carry us any favours. And then we are also to be reminded of our sin, something I'm sure most of us do not want to do. But, uh, Sorry to interrupt. May I ask you a question? Uh, he's, he's saying now to Israel, you're a stiff-necked people, and, he, and he's warning them when they go into it. Yet we, I think it's the psalm that says, uh, I saw in my wrath they would never enter my rest, right? Yep. And, and that, I, I know that was their, their, so their parents, and then now the children are going through. So, so he's still calling the children as stiff-necked people, even though it was the parents that were stiff-necked. Correct. It's part of that theological part where the past is becoming the present. You're constantly... Isn't that He's constantly reminding, you guys heard this at Mount Sinai. Well, well, no, they didn't. You guys were brought out of Egypt. Most of them were not. But he's trying to say, yes, you are. It, it's, 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 it, you see that in, in uh, New Testament theology too. You know? The cross paid for your sin. But you wasn't even born yet. Right? You hadn't even had a chance to do any of this stuff. Um, and it's a, it's, a, it's a wonderful theological thing where every generation is the same generation. Isn't that in Hebrew, ma'aseh avot? The deeds of the fathers. Yeah, ma'aseh avot. The, 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 um, the, the, yeah, the, the, the deeds of the fathers are assigned to the children. Yes. That's correct. The past has an impact on the future. Uh, on the present, and the present, obviously, what we do in the present will have an impact on 
on, on the floor. And so there's this constant, the best thing is obey. That, that's actually one of the, the things that Moses constantly keeps saying, you know, please don't forget to obey. Because uh, as soon as you do that, you're going to wander off the deep end. And here, he's going to remind the people, okay, so you're going in the land, you're going to win, it's going to be fantastic. Um, just remember what happened last time you blew it. And, um, and he, he brings in, of course, the big one, the Egel Hazahab. Although it's got an interesting, some interesting words in Hebrew that describe this idol. Okay? Uh, he's off, in Hebrew, he's going to call it uh, 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 um, a masach, a masache. Masecha. Masecha, masecha, yeah, which in Hebrew means? Well, we use it in modern Hebrew as a mask. Correct, yeah. It's probably a reference from the root of pouring, though, in which they poured it out, uh, apparently after heating it in some way. Yeah, they created a mask of, of the idol. It, it, uh, it wasn't real. It was a fake that was hitting uh, in front of them. Uh, okay, so verse 7. Remember this and never forget how you aroused the anger of the Lord your God uh, in the wilderness. From the day you left Egypt until you arrived here, you have been rebellious against the Lord. So uh, the idea of rebellion... Rebellion is always bad. Okay. Um, the first rebel in the Bible is who? Cain. 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 Okay. Nimrod oh, no. is the big one. Okay. Cain, yeah, he, he's a murderer. He's all kinds of other horrible things. Um, but the big, the big sort of rebellion, rebellion is actually in his name. Nimrod means we rebelled and the sort of idea of pushing aside God and building big cities and, and being horrible. And, horrible. Um, but, and so ever since then, there's somehow there's this element of rebelliousness in all of us. We see it in our children. We see it in ourselves. Okay, and, uh, and we see it in nations. Uh, what an interesting pep talk. You know, Moses telling his people, go in, get ready to fight. Oh, by the way, you're a bunch of rebellious scum, and you've been rebellious ever since, uh, since you came out of Egypt. Uh, you can imagine people going, okay, thanks, man. Um, anything else you want to say before I go in and throw my life on the swords of uh, these giants? Um, so, but he, he, he's doing, Moses is being very careful here to remind people, you remember the big one, at Horeb, the name of uh, Mount Sinai, very common one. You, you aroused the Lord's wrath so that he became angry enough to destroy you. I mean, that's how angry God, God, God became. He had done this incredible act of power, an incredible act of redemption, which he had never done for anybody else. Okay? And, uh, and then the children of Israel had done something where the Lord had said, okay, that's it, I'm going to wipe you out. So Moses says, I went up on top of the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, okay, the tablets of the covenant that the Lord had made with you. With the, every generation is the same generation. God has made a covenant with you. He's made a covenant with us. Okay. So Moses stays on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. He ate no bread and he drank no water. Ooh. I have a question there. Go for it. I, 
I wondered for like two years about that term 40 days and 40 nights. And if it was not a Hebraism, is there any theory that is not a literal literal 40 days and 40 nights? Anybody else want to comment on that one before I do? Okay. Um, it's it's a, a medical, almost a medical impossibility to live without 40 days of water. Okay. And so... Um, it's a, it's a, and Moses doesn't just do one 40-day fast. He does a variety of them in this chapter. And every time he does something, he's fasting for 40 days. And, uh, and so we have some Jewish commentators on this, Bernardo, because they go, wow, how can this be in the text? This is Holy Bible. What do we need to uh, understand? How is he surviving? And, uh, and so what they do is they say that, while Moses is fasting, while he is denying himself essentially anything from earth, okay, where does he go? Where would be his next stop? Right, heaven okay, or some other realm where he's not sustained by earthly food. He's sustained by? Heavenly food. Heavenly food. Okay, he's, he's, he's fed by angels. Okay, so now have a look at Jesus' fast of 40 days. Okay, if you read um, uh, Mark 1 verse 13, can someone quickly read Mark 1 verse 13? Now remember, Moses is denying himself earthly material, so heaven comes to him and sustains him in some heavenly way. Uh, and so what does Jesus say, or what does the gospel writer say about Jesus? Mark 1, 13, anyone got it? I've got it. As he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Right, the angels were ministering to him. There was some way that heaven's making contact with the Messiah and sustaining him. Um, have a look at John four thirty two. So, what does uh, what does the gospel writer say about Jesus in John four thirty two? But he said to them, "I have food to eat that you know nothing about." Right, because they're asking, well, "Where are we getting all this food?" He goes, "Well, actually, I've got food that you don't even know. You have no concept where this comes from." So there was already this very interesting nuance that Moses says in this chapter, he's, he's running away fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, okay, almost medically impossible, if not impossible, but somehow heaven connects with him and sets up a precedent and that even the Messiah does this too. Angels attend him. He's got some special uh, way of sustenance that's not of, of this world. So it's very interesting that um, the New Testament's hinting at, uh, at another um, uh, reality. That's there. Elijah too, right? Well, Elijah gets real food, but from ravens, whereas um, this. But this, to to like at the beginning of forty days. Yeah, and then says, "Walk on." Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll have to have a look at that one. Yeah, and I don't see yeah. if, if Elijah himself managed to get this special special diet. It looks like Moses, and remember, Jesus is always the new Moses, right? 
in, in Deuteronomy 18, when we get to it, Moses is going to say, there's going to be one like me. So looking for this another uh, redeemer mosaic figure. And uh, Yeshua, Jesus, follows exactly the same pattern, even to the point where during his fast he also gets attended uh, by angels. Okay, so Moses is fasting 40 days, 40 nights. The Lord gives him two tablets of stone. Now, I'm not quite sure why Moses has to be in this special state where heaven and earth have connected and, and made... Um, uh, um, That's amazing. Yeah, is I, think where, I think where Benadru is talking about is in um, First Kings 19. Yes. And it says there, First Kings 19 from verse 7, it says, um, A second time the angel of the Lord turned and touched him, saying, Get up and eat, or the journey will be too much for you. And verse 8 says, So he got up and ate and drank and strength, and strengthened by the food. He walked 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Okay, there you go. Yes, you're right. Okay, so well done, Bernardo. There is this um, some sort of heavenly um, product that can interact with, with uh, yeah. humanity. It interacts with Moses, interacts with the prophet, and interacts with the Messiah. And, hey, one day we might get it too. So that'd be kind of nice. <laughs> okay. So the Lord gives him two tablets of stone inscribed by the etzba Adonai, the finger okay, of God. And on them were all the commandments that the Lord proclaimed to you on the mountain out of fire on the day of the assembly. So how many was that? It doesn't say. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we always like to say it's the big ten and that's all. Um, uh, although it could actually be a little bit more. <laughs> and it's very interesting that uh, many times in the Torah it refers to it as the ten words. Yes, the ten words. And yet they know that, uh, that it's, there's more than that. But yes, the ten words and then there's more. Um, okay. So at the end of the 40 days and the 40 nights, the Lord gives him the two stone tablets, the tablets of the covenant. Okay, so why are there two? Uh, one copy for each party. Correct. Yes, they are mirror images. There's one for you and one for God. And, uh, and, we're, and you're supposed to put one inside the Ark of the Covenant. Right? Um, and then the Lord... But what of them were put in the Ark? Yeah, they both were. In fact, the broken ones were as well. <laughs> um, then the Lord told me okay so everything's going swimmingly up until this bit go down from here at once and this is where Neville noted the uh, personal pronoun because your people whom you brought out of Egypt okay, like I've had nothing to do with it up until this point they've become corrupt they have turned away quickly from what I commanded them and have made an idol for themselves. So what do we take from that very strong verse? I missed the covenant. Sorry. <laughs> is is that the word that it says or is it testimony? The uh Brit. Brit? Yeah, covenant. Yeah. Brit thoughts. Yeah, the Brit. Okay. It's the covenant. Yeah, the, the testimony, 
Um, oddly enough, the, the Ark of the Covenant is most often called in Hebrew the Ark of the Testimony. Yeah. Not sure why, but, but here, here we're talking definitely about a covenant, a brit. Okay? But yeah, the, the, the phrase the Ark of the Testimony is, um, is very yeah. widely used in Exodus. Okay, but here, here it's definitely the covenant. Okay. okay. So, what, Sorry, back to the, question. the question is, um, um, what's so strong and powerful about the way God is now using these personal pronouns? He gives the, the responsibility to Moses mm. for the people's behavior. Who has been leading the people up to this time? God has, but the responsibility has been given to the leader. And, uh, you know, it's as we've been going over this, I have a responsibility as a parent as well. They're my children. So that's what I've kind of seen here is that as the children followed the leader, God held the leader responsible for that behavior. Well, the burden of leadership, people. That's it. I quit. No, it's too much. <laughs> okay. I was like, uh, yeah, I think maybe right. there's, there's something going on add, Sorry. Okay. No, go ahead. Okay. Um, maybe he's using this, the word your and your people and that you brought out of Egypt to encourage Moses to fully identify with the people, to take ownership that they are his people because the Lord wants him to stand in the way. In other words, when we, in another place where we read about this, it says, the Lord says to Moses, get out of my way so that I can destroy this people. And Moses says, not budging. <laughs> and, I think, and I think the Lord wants him to f absolutely fully identify with the people and therefore stand in the way and not let them be destroyed. Yeah, there you go. That's good. And another way we could look at it is um, when Moses decided to stand on behalf of the people, asking God not to wipe, uh, wipe the people away. Um, Moses kind of takes the responsibility um, because now um, God is talking back to Moses and he's saying, okay, you see, I wanted to wipe out these guys and see, they're your guys, you can see what they're doing. They're your people, you can see what they're doing because now Moses is now standing in the gap for them, which of course God is encouraging him to continue to stand in the gap for them. But, but Aaron, in, in the very beginning, uh, the Lord God said to Moses, he said, literally, you will be like a god to Aaron and to the people, right? Mm. So Elizabeth is right that, that he's actually said, you have been given this responsibility, so yeah. now you sort this thing out, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and the way he sorted out was actually really quite interesting. Because <laughs> um, how, how was God going to sort it out? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I mean, I'll just wipe everybody out. And then I, I always find it very interesting. And God says, and then I'm just going to start with you. We're not going to have the 12 tribes of Israel. We're going to have the 12 tribes of Moses. You know, you get to rename every single tribe now, brother. Okay, we don't do Levites anymore. We're going to make some new ones. Um, but, uh, yeah, we don't, we don't get that. 
I liked your I think comment, this is, this Elizabeth, about uh, the responsibility of the leader. That was actually very, very good. I'll have to make sure I note that down for the notes. <laughs> I think this is also very interesting how um, the idea of, of Moses uh, kind of being, an, you know, interceding between God and man and how many times, you know, with the whole, you know, Judaic concept of just God, there's no mediator where here's like a glimpse of a mediator as though Jesus, you know, representing God. So I think it's very interesting. This is a very good example of a mediator in, you know, the Old Testament. Yes. And most of the time that you find our mediators in the, in the, in the Hebrew Bible, they, they just talk to God. Um, Moses is actually going to pray here. In, in his intercession, he's actually physically going to pray. But a fair bit of his dialogue, and like Abraham's dialogue with the Lord, is exactly that. It's dialogue, um, which is not normally the way we dialogue with the Lord. Most of our communication with heaven is actually in the form of prayer, is actually in the form of intercession and praise. Aaron, sorry to interrupt. Is this the same thing when Lord Jesus said to Peter, he said, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat, but I have uh, prayed to the Father for that, for that not to happen. Yeah, so there you go. Even Jesus prays intercession, which is, an inter which is a very interesting thought, isn't it? Yeah. A, a that, very that interesting. It's really well, that's what he's doing right now, isn't he? Yes. Says he's interceding for us and the accuser is there constantly accusing us. Yes. Yes, indeed. But I think for me, the really interesting thing about that episode with Simon's um, betrayal of Jesus, or his denial of Jesus three times, um, Jesus could have said, you know, when Satan asked to sift them with his, like wheat, Jesus could have said, buzz off. Just go away. Um, but he doesn't. Uh, and this is a really profound idea that he lets Peter uh, just stumble into this terrible disaster, personal disaster for him. But then, he, then Jesus says, and when you recovered, strengthen your brothers. So in other words, he, Jesus is going to turn this whole thing around to be a positive thing. But also more than that, he's going to give Peter... Like, he, like Jacob got a wound that caused him to limp for the rest of his life. So right. Peter, Peter gets a public wound of the, the most embarrassing sort, which enables him to always refer to himself as a brother like you. In other words, he, he realizes his failing. Everybody knew about it. He couldn't hide it. But that was the Lord's kind of leadership training for someone who's going to carry massive responsibility. Wow, yes, that's very good, Neville. Yeah. The, again, and it, with Moses' constant reminder of remember, remember your sin, uh, Peter will never be able to forget it. And, uh, and perhaps, even though our, we have been forgiven, we should probably also remember what we've been forgiven from. Okay? So that uh, it strengthens us, it empowers us, it makes us better people. That's a, a good thought. All right. Um, 
Okay, so the other thing that I wanted to just to note just before we finish is what's God doing? He's writing uh, these, these tablets. How long does it take him? We don't know. We know that it took Moses 40 days and 40 nights to get to the point where he was able to be in that capability to receive something as holy as the Ten Commandments. Okay. Um, but while God is doing it, what else does he notice that Moses didn't notice? That his face was shining. Well, that's one thing, yeah. Yeah, that's right. God didn't say, hey, Moses, your face is like really weird, man. You better, you better take care of that before you go down. It's going to really spin them out. Okay, this is the abridged version of the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> like falling away. Yeah, Moses had no clue what was going, but God did. So isn't that interesting that even though God can be busy doing something else, God can be busy being with somebody else. Uh, which is great. He's on the other side of the world right now doing something in Asia or Latin America, but he's also here and paying attention to me too. Um, it's, a, it's a very interesting thought that God, he just knows. And, um, uh, and, and unfortunately here he knew stuff he didn't want to know, but he knew it. And, uh, uh, and he reminded Moses, hey, you know, uh, leader, the people you're leading ain't doing so well. You better go down and sort them out. And that is an interesting thing that the people of Israel have had 40 years wandering in the desert. Um, they have had priests. They have had the tabernacle. They have had Aaron. What exactly have these guys been teaching the people? Um, it's obviously not good enough because they're, they're, they're constantly forgetting constantly rebelling. We could note that in, their, in retrospect, both the prophet Amos and the Stephen in his speech at uh, before the Sanhedrin said that the very sacrifices that these people sacrificed in the wilderness, the whole 40 years were sacrificed to Egyptian and Assyrian gods. Right. Yes, that's right. They, yeah, they put the, the, isn't that interesting? The people of Israel came out of Egypt seeing signs and wonders and still didn't know who was saving them. Mm. And, uh, and, and, and they get to the mountain, and what does God have to do with his introduction? He says, I am the Lord your God that took you out of Egypt. Right? It, it wasn't Egyptian gods that brought you out. It was me. In fact, I was destroying Egyptian gods. And uh, this, this sort of idea that God has to this constant telling us who he is. And may he be patient with me. All right. Okay, brothers and sisters. Uh, oh, just uh, one question before we go. Yes. Um, if we look at um, Exodus, Exodus 34, um, talking about Moses spending the 40 days with God, and at the end of the day, it says that um, it was Moses. It kind of inscribed that it was Moses that wrote on the tablet. If we read in verse number if we just go down and it says um 27 and he said unto moses write these words for after the tenure of this word i have made a covenant with thee and with israel and it was with there if verse 28 say and he was there with the lord 40 days and 40 nights and he did not eat bread nor drank water and he wrote 
upon the tablet the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Yeah. Um, if, if you look at it, the he referring to that sentence is referring to Moses. That's true. And, but, yeah. Yes, there are two sets of tablets, Samson. The first one from God and the second one from Moses. So the ones that God breaks are the ones that Moses breaks are the ones that God writes. And the ones, the second set that he gets, he writes. Oh, is, Moses wrote on the second set. Yes. Moses oh. writes the second set, but God writes the first set. Now, there's all kinds of theological thoughts about that. Like, why doesn't God do the second one as well? Uh, are the second just as good as the first one if they're actually from a human? And there's all kinds of interesting things you could talk about and probably have no answers for. But it is interesting that, yes, the second set are from, from Moshe. Um, yeah, but if we look at the verse 1 of that same um, chapter, 34, it says when the Lord was commanding Moses to hew the two tablets and bring it, it says that, and I will write upon these tablets. You know, God was saying, I will write. And, you know, we come to, it's... Um, it's yes, it's, 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 the, it's where, you, where you join together. God's going to go into the land first and drive out the people, but you're going to have to do battle as well. King yeah. David says, you know, I'm not by myself. I come to you in the name of the Lord, but I physically got to throw the stone. Uh, Paul says in Corinthians, you know, you're working out, working out this together with God. Yeah. Um, we even, in other verses, uh, Arya could probably mention them off the top of his head, but I can't remember right now. We also continue in the sufferings of the Messiah. We continue in the saving, redemptive plan of the Messiah. We are partakers. Colossians 1. Thank you. Colossians 1. I am filling up in my body the sufferings that are missing in the sufferings of Christ on behalf of his body, which yeah. is the church. Yes, so we, we, are, we, are, we, are, we are walking out our, this plan with the Lord, but where there's parts that we have to play. It's a privilege, it's a burden, it's a responsibility, it's a blessing. We don't do it by ourselves, we've got the Spirit. It's all of those things, and we've got an enemy who's trying his darndest to stop us and get us distracted. Uh, and unfortunately, what we see in Deuteronomy, the distraction is idolatry and we'll we'll tackle that a little bit more uh next week where we try and we will discuss some of the themes about idolatry what is it this, that they're actually physically making um uh why why is god so annoyed uh these kinds of things and uh how is this an actual act of of rebellion uh, we'll, we'll do that uh next week okay all right it guys. also shows okay. uh, right. the, yeah uh, just a quick word, like the the relationship between the speaker and the scribe or the writer, right? Because not everything was written, say, let's put Paul by example. He right. didn't physically write everything. No, there was another he person. He dictated and there were scribes writing it down. Yeah. So it's still from the mouth of the Lord. That's right. Okay. Amen. Hallelujah. As we got from okay. What was the verse in Colossians? Colossians 1, it's uh, somewhere around 20-ish, a little bit more. Perhaps. Okay, thanks. We had, we had a Bible study in his house one day about, uh, about that. It was actually really good. So. All right, guys, blessings. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. 
You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.